smartcast you are listening to a mint production brought to you by hd smartcast hi why not mint money is a daily podcast on personal finance that helps you get smart about managing money we help you understand basic money concepts to keep you from making bad money mistakes why not mint money is your one stop solution to money matters so let's get started welcome to your money journey Hi folks uh, so today we are joined by Deepak Shanoy founder and CEO at Capital Mind and Anup Vijay Kumar who is head of research and fund manager at Capital Mind This uh, discussion stems from a very interesting post that uh, Anup wrote on keeping your investing identity small uh, when i read it something inside me just clicked because I think I also have a tendency to get addicted to a particular investing identity, and that has not um, helped me much in in my investment journey. So um, I think uh, Anup, uh, would you like to explain a little bit about that post and what you were saying? Sure. So I think I'll I'll start with an example that probably a lot of us can relate to, and for those of us who kind of follow any kind of sport. usually have like a favorite team or a favorite player so it could be kimi raikkonen in f1 or or a federer or a nadal or a manchester city or you know and if you were to observe uh, yourself when you're watching a game that features one of your favorite players or your teams every line decision every time there is a doubt on what actually happened you automatically believe that it went what happened was in favor of your team and it's 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 quite funny that way you know so if if you're a federer fan and a ball lands just on the edge of the baseline you depending on who hit it you dep- you you'll feel that you'll very strongly feel that it was in or out uh, depending on who whether your favored player will win the point or not and this this kind of repeats a lot and uh, you know I, I tended to wonder why that is and it it comes down to the fact that you know i didn't i identify as a supporter of that player or that team and therefore whatever happens um i whether or not it actually happened i tend to believe that it it was in the favor of um of of my team so this this almost like situational blindness uh, happens quite a bit with with all of us and when i sort of started observing that and repeated it, it was sort of a pattern and it it's not just about sports i mean if you zoom out a little bit with things which which um, mean more to us yeah in fact uh, so so your post reminded me of these two famous books by eckhart tolle power of now and the uh, the new earth which talk about mm-hmm. how people attach themselves to identities and that leads to a lot of issues so he was talking in the context of say identifying with say um, a, a, a national identity or an ethnic one or a religious one but that equally applies i think to the world of investment and just that nobody has yet made the connection until you wrote that so absolutely like if if you i mean if you're on twitter you you see a lot of into it and you see a, and, and even on any kind of forum like we have on our capital mind premium slack uh, there are a lot of debates on on investment theses companies industry sectors which is which is great you know which is healthy but you also see a lot of emotion attached to those discussions where people really feel strongly about companies that they bought into at some point maybe 5 years ago 10 years ago 
could be an Asian Paints and ITC and what have you. And it's the it's the emotion that is quite surprising if you were to think about it, right? So it, uh, that identity as I'm a quality investor or I'm a value investor that tends to pervade a lot of our thinking when we're thinking about evaluating options. And that probably is distorting our view in some senses when. Uh, you know, if you are an investor in Asian paint, doesn't matter what happens with the company, you're probably going to interpret it as a positive. Um, and and so and so for ITC and and it, the the point being being aware of that helps us potentially maybe avoid it a little bit. Uh, try and sure. get some distance between you and your investments. Sure, Deepak, could you tell us in your long investment journey? I assume that you would have had different identities at different points of time. Uh, so could you elaborate on how that has worked out? Well, it's interesting because, you know, you start off thinking, you know, the first post that I wrote in Capital Mind was that I'm going to be about fundamentals. And then uh, in a couple of years, I went down the road of saying, listen, fundamentals are great, but they, um, they aren't necessarily the only reasons why stocks move. So what else? And I've shifted on completely and jumped the shark in a way and went into the technical area. And I said, okay, fundamentals will come later. Prices move first. Prices move often. Um, uh, in 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 uh, uh, most of the times, they move uh, in a different way from when the fundamentals are seen. Prices start moving up, and you're looking at a company that's in the doldrums. Prices start moving down, and uh, the company seems to be really doing well. Uh, the prices often are in advance of of events happening, and sometimes market participants know in advance, and that's why prices move. Uh, so that became the holy grail for a while in the sense of saying that's what actually drives stock prices. And, and then it became, um, listen, one stock doesn't matter. Well, one stock can go up and down and all that stuff. I'm not a one stock player. So let's think of portfolio level investing, uh, where instead of looking at a stock, you're looking at a portfolio and a different way to address uh, investing in a portfolio is you don't look at portfolios in isolation. You look at a back test and say that there's a strategy that I want to run. It's a codified set of rules, and you think about that as a as a way to kind of invest in uh, philosophy. We built short-term strategies on something like this, where we said we do it on a portfolio basis. So I moved from there. You know, uh, bits and pieces have carried on. In the end, you find that there's no. I mean, the biggest realization to me as an investor has been that there is no one way. There are many ways and all of them are successful, sometimes simultaneously, sometimes uh, at different points in time, but it doesn't mean that your strategy is the best. Uh, it doesn't mean that your strategy is, the, is better than somebody else just because it makes better returns right now. It also doesn't mean that you have to be what you are forever. Uh, markets will change, it will change you. You, can, you need to have a repertoire of skills not just something that says only technical and only fundamentals and only the ability to look at a balance sheet and identify fraud. that kind of uh, uh, skill is all of these are parts that will come useful to you at some point in time. You can't be one. You can be many. You don't have to be one and you can make money in all. Yeah. So the past year has been phenomenal for momentum investors and you also have a momentum portfolio, I believe. Um, but if you could uh, trace out some of the history that, you know, before momentum came into fashion, what was in vogue and, and before that, what worked so that people know that, you know, this isn't always how it was. Uh, so, that, uh, um, so if you were to, you know, if, if you were to go back a few years, depending on what index you pick, so we've got different indexes, which 
so you have the the PSU index, and then you have quality, and you have value, and all of that. So I was just looking at historic performance. Uh, if you were to go back, let's say ten years, um, the the overall best performer tends to be something around you know quality and momentum sort of combined to to be the best performers. But if you go back five years, um, value is the best performer. If you go back one year, you know you have the the CPSC ETF, which is all PSU companies, which are the which is the best performer. So, if, depending on how you slice time, uh, any given strategy would have done well over that period of time. So, uh, that what do you take away from that? That essentially every you know every dog has his day. Uh, every strategy works well for certain periods of time, and then it doesn't work as well for other periods of time. And uh, and why is that? I mean, equity markets tend to go up most of the time. So, seven out of ten years, markets are up. And stocks within that market tend to be fairly highly correlated. So, uh, and correlation between stocks tends to be almost like 0.8, which means if your stocks have gone up, most likely most of the other stocks have also gone up. So, you know, so there isn't, so there's no real case for attaching yourself to the outcome and saying that, look, I did this. It just happened that the markets went up. You picked a certain set of stocks and they did well. So, understanding that every every strategy, every philosophy has its, you know, peaks and troughs. I think is a big part of figuring out how to invest for the long term. Are there examples of famous investors who have been flexible um, and that has altered their fortune? So, I mean, Warren Buffett is uh, traditionally considered a value investor, but there have been times when he's done very different things. So, could you tell us a bit about that? So, Warren Buffett is an interesting example where I think uh, Deepak made this comment one where uh, do as he does, not as he not, not as he says, uh, because what he says is fairly consistent over time. And to his credit, he's simplified some some pretty complex topics into some very uh, fairly, I think, cute bumper sticker type sayings. But uh, if you look at his track record, like airlines, his commentary about airlines has always been negative, saying that it's a horrible business. It's not something that you can uh, make money out of. But uh, I think he first invested in airlines back in 1989. He invested a good chunk of uh, his fund in U.S. Airways, uh, which didn't make a lot of money. He exited pretty much flat without showing a gain or a loss. 2016, he invested, I think, seven or eight billion into four four airlines, and he ended up exiting that investment in May of 2020, when airlines were at their bottom. So pretty much immediately after he exited is when the airline stocks rebounded. So he's he's made mistakes. Uh, he's he's done things uh, which don't quite fit into that buy great businesses at reasonable prices um, philosophy. But he's, he's done a fair number of them. Some of them have worked out, some of them are not. So if, if, if the poster child of value investing has invested in many different ways, that's probably an indicator that, you know, we should all be, you know, be willing to be flexible. Yeah, absolutely. But Deepak, how do you catch these changes in style? How do you know that, okay, momentum is working now, but um, before you know it, growth is back in fashion. Like, how do you catch that? Well, um, to be fair, sometimes um, the evi evidence of something working or not working is in the bank balance, right? So in the end, you come back to a point where you're saying, boss, I'm not making any money and everybody else is, or other people are, and therefore what's wrong with it? I'll give an example. Stanley Druckenmiller, George Soros, uh, uh, who's running George Soros Fund at the time, uh, this is the guy who, along with George Soros, I think they broke the back of the pound in 1992. And in 1999, he found himself shorting a lot of internet memes. 
by the middle of 1999 he was down 20% when the whole market was up 25 or 30% and um, you know he changed his view he said okay i'm, I'm out uh, he then you know ended up being profitable for the end of the year just because of doing that unfortunately doubled down his bet in march 2000 lost a lot of money uh, when the market actually crashed in uh, april i think march 2000 is when it crashed so roughly after invested so he did lose a little bit of he did lose serious money after that now so the reason i'm saying this is that it works out uh, very differently for some investors um, uh, but you know you know for instance george soros himself somebody asked his son uh, when does he know how to exit his position his famous line used to be soros can exturn on a dime that means Uh, you know a dime is a really small american coin so you can actually uh, if you can turn uh, on that little tiny coin uh, that's all it would have taken to you know to to make you uh, change your stance completely uh, the way that uh, somebody asked how does soros know when because he's such got such big positions he can't just turn on a dime that easily but he actually does it he just sells everything and goes into the other reverse reverse direction um, uh, you know his son said when he's uh, you know he uh, soros has pain in his back almost a, a lot of time apparently but when that back pain gets too intense is when he knows that his position is too much and it's working against him and therefore he should so different uh, investors have different reasons and styles of when they will choose to shift the point about it is you know you've got to be like a tree in the wind uh, at some point and say if you can't if you're going to stand against the wind all the time every uh, new gust is going to weaken you and at some point you'll just break versus if you're a little more flexible and you're watching the wind come you're going to have to move in a slightly different direction it can be gradual which most investors are by the way most of our mutual funds if you look at their portfolios the way they change you'll find uh, value is let's say 20% momentum is 80% uh, you know uh, and it's just the way they are and they've seen the thing coming and seeing that momentum is on the street is when they have moved to momentum they have done it probably gradually they didn't start off 2080 they probably were at 50 50 or even um, 100% value at some point in time they change their views over time to say listen the market expects or respects uh, a different thing therefore uh, things have moved so i think the switch and the reason for the switch is going to be um, a person specific fund manager specific but i think like all of us you can smell uh, anyone can if you've been in the market you can smell when the markets are changing and you can make out that something fundamental has changed about the market so i think we can say this of the stock markets in the last one year we have never seen this kind of retail participation before so the same things that drove the markets five years earlier when we used to say oh this foreign investor invested in this stock this for it's now no longer that foreign investors people like you and me that are driving stocks so our motivations our thoughts are different when this switch changes and the foreign investor becomes popular again a different set of stocks will move and therefore if your strategy is to say listen i'm only on x you're going to have to accommodate that y as well yeah uh, deepak so let's conclude with um, perhaps the 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 contradiction of that statement which is are there principles that are timeless um, that you know even with the bending and the changing of seasons if you adhere to those then you can be reasonably confident of doing well um investing will out of yes so i mean i i mean i i don't know whether okay so that there's a difference between doing well and doing better than anybody else 
So um, let's make that differentiation. But largely, any philosophy run with a discipline over a really long period of time can make money. And I'm not saying that it will. I'm saying that if you invest in value stocks, yes, you can make money over a long period of time because people have done it. <clears throat> but, and same with momentum, although it sounds like, you know, you're flitting from stock to stock, but why you, don't you guys have any loyalty? I think not being loyal is also a, a feature. It's not a bug, it's a feature. So I, I think any of these strategies built over a longer period of time uh, with discipline uh, makes sense. So the word discipline here is key. That is a timeless principle. So whatever you follow, you follow with some layer of discipline that says, I, um, uh, uh, you know, unless the world has come to an end, uh, my discipline is what saves me. So if something tells me to sell a stock because it was a, uh, an algorithm that was uh, that was supposed to be driving the philosophy, I'm not going to change at that point and say, no, no, this is a great stock. I might win once in a while, but that discipline is what's going to keep me alive uh, and ability to stay in the game longer. The other one is um, Larry Hyde's uh, statement um, in one of the Market Wizard books where he had given an interview to Jack Schwager. He said two things, you know, so... If you um, don't bet, you can't win. And if you bet all your chips, you can't bet. The idea being, if you like a position you've got or like the investing strategy, you've got to invest in it. You've got to stay invested in it. Um, and uh, but if you if you bet too much on something, uh, you're not going to be able to you know participate in the next round because you lose everything. So if you take these, some of these, these are money management principles for the most part, keep your risk at bay, uh, understand uh, uh, at least what you're investing in, in terms of the, the strategy that you're investing in, have the discipline to do it. And, uh, uh, you know, don't over leverage yourself. Uh, if you meet these basic principles, then I think most strategies will make money. Your ability to move between, and here's where the labeling problem comes into picture is if you think of yourself as only a value investor uh, and you think that um, you know Amazon is not a value buy because it has 80x earnings, perhaps something that uh, Warren Buffett said it was a mistake that he made. And he said that recently saying that I never thought, I mean, I, I never thought Amazon could have been a value business, but it is a value business now. So it's the way, the, the way you think about what you think about is hindered by your label itself. A libertarian should favor free markets does not mean that a libertarian cannot at the same time demand RBI regulate banks from overcharging their customers. I don't think, uh, I think the words confuse us, the labels make us, I don't know, you know, like Anup said, bumper stickers, um, they're great for cars, but are they great for human beings? Um, that's what I'd say, you know, I'd leave this off with. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Deepak and Anu. It's a pleasure having you both. Thanks for listening in. We're also available on livemin.com. And if you're old school, then do pick up a copy of Mint for some insightful coverage. If you have any questions you want us to address, do reach us out at HT Smartcast. We are present on Twitter, Facebook and Insta. And if you want to connect over email, write in to us at mintmoney at livemint.com. Until next time, it's bye-bye. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.